0: Today's Bible reading comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 18, Uh, and I'll be reading verses 1 to 16 from the NIV version. Verse 1 After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit came from God, forcefully upon Saul, He was prophesying in his house, while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul So he sent David away from him, and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success, because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he led them in their campaigns.
1: Morning again, everybody. Happy Father's Day. Did you hear the news about my daughter? She's engaged. Marie prayed for Kate. You may not have picked up the Kate she was praying for was our Kate, who last night got engaged. The agony is over. The agony is back. Um, It's terrific news, it's certainly an answer to our prayers and when Dan, that's her fiancé now, uh, his parents live in Toowoomba so we're not sure where the wedding is going to be, probably neither Sydney nor Brisbane, probably somewhere halfway in between, who knows. Um, When Dan came on the phone and and I congratulated him, I reminded him that this was a non-returnable policy. Let's stand together. I want you to take 30 seconds to turn and greet and wish Happy Father's Day to one another and have a lovely time. (laughs) Ha ha! Busted. Should be more of it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Have a chair. $660 million we have spent on Father's Day. Something like that. Yes, I don't think I've contributed to the national average at all. Though we are going out for lunch, I understand. Who's going out? Maybe not. Who's going out for lunch today? Oh, nobody. Ah, yeah, one. There's quite a few in the other service who are going out for lunch. Is there a... You've got your Bible. Turn with me, please, to uh, 1 Samuel 18. You see on the screen the information slips. There's the yellow um, forms in our bulletins. Most of you are very familiar with that. It's an opportunity to communicate to update your information as well as to respond in various ways. You'll also find, not in your bulletins, but in the foyer, if there are still copies available on our desk over here, uh, some pamphlets on prayer. One to do with Queensland Baptist, a list of prayer points so that we can be praying for other Baptist churches throughout our state. And also there is a a GIA, Global Interaction, list of prayer, praying for our missionaries. So I commend both of those to you as well to get a copy. And if there are none there, let me know. Simply write on the yellow form or something and we'll get a copy to you or you can pick it up next weekend. So I commend that to you. And it's a good reminder for next Sunday afternoon if you can make it to come Sunday afternoon to pray together. In this passage, these two chapters of, 1 Samuel, we have the interplay of two characters, David and Saul. And the perspective that we are to adopt in in understanding it and in reading it is that David is the Lord's anointed. And the response of the people and the characters in the story to the Lord's anointed is to be a parallel between us and our response to the Lord's anointed. The Greek word for... Anointed is Christ, Christos. And so David, in a sense, is the Lord's Christ in this passage. And the response of the people to him, Saul, Saul's children, the people, is a parallel for our response to be a parallel with our response to the Lord's Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate anointed one, the Lord's servant. And in many ways, Jesus, who is the son of David, you'll see many parallels like that through David's life of pointing towards the one who was to come. In this passage you'll see the interplay not simply between David and Saul and others, but you'll also see the clash of wills. And particularly the submission of David's will to God but the resistance, the rejection, the defiance of God's will in Saul. So too we see those same reactions today. People will submit to Christ as Lord. Others will resist, reject, water down, delay. But the attitude can be similar. And through this we will also observe um, in David, who is in submission to the Father, had his eyes clearly on God, wanted to honour him and seek his approval. He was God's man, a man after God's own heart, anointed by God, chosen by him, empowered by him by his spirit. And David is a man who is, we're going to read, very successful. God just kept opening doors and giving victory and protecting him all the way. What do you do when God blesses you abundantly, when you know God's goodness is just so overwhelming? What do you do? What David did, keep your eyes on God, continue to honour him and to seek his approval. What do you do when, like David, you have people like Saul who want to resist and even oppose you and plot against you and even take actions against you to harm you? What do you do then? Well, like David, keep your eyes on God, seek his approval and his honour, with success or with opposition. The focus is the same. We are to follow him and to be obedient to him and to allow him in his own way to work out his purposes, which is certainly what the Lord does do through David and in the life of Israel before he brings the Lord Jesus into the world. So if you've got your Bibles or turn your eyes to the screens, we'll work our way through this. Uh, The first paragraph in chapter 18, verses uh, 1 to 5, is a bit of a, a summary sketch of the sort of things that went on, of how significantly uh, David was received. So following immediately after the death, the killing of Goliath last week or the week before, you have David returning to the palace and Saul inquiring who is your dad in order that he might fulfil his promise. David's family would be tax-free and David would be in arranged marriage through his father, I guess, and King Saul for the two to be married. We'll read a little bit about that this morning. So when David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan and David suddenly become great mates. Jonathan observed and reflected in David somebody like himself, a bit of a warrior spirit. Jonathan had gone off and had fought the Philistines and been successful and David had done so and Jonathan just resonated with him, just something similar about him and he was attracted to him and they had this soul ship, this bonding. And it's interesting that Jonathan, the son of the king, is the one who initiates who almost uh, solidifies this relationship through a covenant. Uh, Verse 2, Saul does his normal practice. He retains David on that day. David never returned to his father's house after this point. Uh, And Jonathan, verse 3, makes a covenant with David and is into this binding uh, commitment of loyalty. Uh, He's transferred allegiance, if you like, from his dad now to David. And he demonstrates that in verse 4 take note of this, that Jonathan takes off his robe, his royal robe I assume, and gives it to David. It's not public, it's not you know, official, it's just a personal response. It's almost an indication, certainly a hint, that Jonathan might perceive that in David there is the coming king, that he is the one who is the Lord's anointed. It's certainly a very generous act that he does. And chapter 19, which is where we're going to get to this morning, at the end of chapter 19, you likewise have Saul will be removing his clothes and with a sort of a bookend to chapters 18 to 19. Here with Jonathan, it is willing, it is voluntary and there is this uh, indication of allegiance to the Lord's anointed. That's certainly the response God looks for in us towards his anointed one, the Lord Jesus. Well, verse 5 tells us even Saul's initial response to David is that on every mission on which Saul sent him, David achieved success. God was with him. So Saul appointed him over the men of war. David, uh, Saul promoted David to be the leader of the army. Highly recognised. This pleased not only all of the army, but all Saul's servants. Things are going extremely well. Now there is, that's like a, forward projection a little bit and now if you pick up the story, a summary if you pick up the story from verse 6 when the men arrived after David returned from striking down the Philistine David, this is where the story somehow continues forward when the men returned after that battle for however long it took uh, the women from all the cities of Israel came and gathered out and they were singing they were dancing, they were singing a particular song though the walking in home the victorious troops tambourines playing and 3 strings instruments In verse 7, they've got this little song going which may very well have been an unintentional faux pas or it could be a true indication of a shifting in emphasis or of power. Saul certainly took it the second way and is offended by it. The women say, Saul has struck down his thousands but David his tens of thousands. Saul has struck down thousands. David, tens of thousands. Two things to note about that. Prior to this, Saul, the king, whenever he returned from these military campaigns, returned victorious, it was him who got the recognition. These battles were done in his name. He received the accolades. He was the one who was appointed king to go out before to lead the army and to come back victorious. But now he has to share that glory with another. Saul and David. So he's not only sharing the honour, but there is a comparison that he hears whether it ought to be there or not in typical Hebrew parallelism nonetheless Saul thinks it is there and the parallelism places him in an inferior light he struck down thousands David tens of thousands David is better David is more significant following verses indicate for us that Saul took this in a very bad light it made him very angry It displeased him and he thought they've attributed to David tens of thousands but to me they've attributed only thousands. What else does he lack? He's going to take the kingdom next. Saul didn't know that uh, that David had been anointed. Saul at this point doesn't know that David is the one who will replace him. Saul has only been informed by Samuel back in chapter 15 verse 28 and Samuel says, God has taken the kingdom away from you and he's going to give it to one of your neighbours, one of your colleagues, someone better than you. That's what Samuel says. And now you have Saul, someone better than him, publicly being recognised as such. What else does he lack except the kingdom? Verse 9, so Saul was keeping an eye on David from that day on. He still doesn't know, but he's very suspicious. And now in chapter 18, we will have four instances of his actions against the one that we know is the Lord's anointed. Just as people today can have actions and responses against the Lord's anointed. At this stage, he only suspects. Here is the first thing that happens, verse 10 and 11. The next day, an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul... And he prophesied within his house. That's the N E T. The next day, this and I understand from this passage that the evil spirit is not a demonic spirit that is coming in and invading him, but it's rather it's a spirit which is like an attitude of either or an experience of depression or of paranoia. It's an emotional experience. It plays with his mind and his emotions. It's spirit in that sense, as the Old Testament on occasions uses and he literally he prophesies he speaks words that he doesn't know what they're about there's another influence and to him I think it's this mental emotional influence David was playing the musical instrument the lyre that day and strangely but as was apparently Saul's customs he's got a spear in his hand here he is in the palace and he's walking around the house around the place with a spear in his hand the equivalent of us walking around with a gun or something in our hands it's just What does that indicate about the man? And anyway, Saul snapped. Here is David playing the instrument, which before had soothed and calmed him. Uh, But all the music did was draw Saul's attention towards this irritating, successful, youthful person. And Saul's attitude was, I'm going to pin him to the wall. So he throws a spear at him. And somehow David avoids it. I would imagine Saul goes, oh my goodness, what have I done? Apologises, I'm sorry, it won't happen again. passage says it happened twice. So he either gets another spear or he gets that one back and he's walking around again and he has another go and he'll have another go yet in the next chapter. Well, he's either a rotten shot or the Lord was protecting his servant. Maybe we'll read it that way. Uh, indications uh, all the way through this. That's the first one. The next time, next thing that happens um, is that Saul is beginning. You know th- that could be an, an emotional reaction. Uh, now it's going to be more a calculated response. He's now thinking and planning and plotting. Verse 12 and following. Saul feared David before he was displeased. He was offended. He's watching him. Now there's this sense of fear. there's a growing suspicion he's going to replace me he's going to replace my family I've got to stop this I've got to resist what God has told me he's going to do Uh, so Saul feared David because the Lord was with him but had departed from me from Saul so what did Saul do? he removed David from his presence kicked him out of the palace and made him a commanding officer a man in charge of a thousand my question is is that a demotion? Before, back in the beginning of the chapter, Saul had promoted him, verse 5, made him over all of the army. But now he has removed him from his presence out of the palace and he's put him on the front line and he's now in charge of a military unit of a thousand men. Is that a demotion? Maybe. It's also Saul's murderous intent that he wants David on the front line so that he might be exposed to weapons and warfare and hopefully, from Saul's perspective, he will be killed. David led the army out to battle and back again. Saul's intending this will get him. What does God do? Gave David even more success. Here is Saul trying to resist God's will and oppose God's will and what's God doing? The more he does, the more God uses his rebellion to promote his cause. God's incredible how he can work through our circumstances and life situations still to achieve his purposes. The more Saul tried, the more successful David became. The more Satan tries to resist and oppose the advance of the kingdom of God, even killing the Lord Jesus, in fact only promotes the work of the kingdom of God. Our God is a mighty God who is at work and he's working in your life and circumstances. And so verse 14, Now David achieved success in all that he did, For the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. Growing. Emotional reaction of resistance and fear and opposing. But all Israel and all Judah loved David. What's to be the attitude towards the Lord's anointed? To love him. To be grateful for God's goodness. He was the one leading them out to battle and so on. That's the second example of hostility. Third one. Verses 17 all the way down to 19. That Saul supposedly keeping his promise back in chapter 17 that whoever kills Goliath will marry my daughter. So verse 17, then Saul said to David, here's my oldest daughter, Mirab. I want to give her to you in marriage. Oh, good. Only you be a brave soldier. Go out and fight the battles of the Lord. Saul's thinking, there's no need for me to raise my hand against him. Let it be the hand of the Philistines. Remember I promised you could have my daughter? Well, you can have that. I want you to go out and fight some more battles. And again, he's hoping the Philistines will kill him. David's response? Who am I? Who are my relatives of the clan of my father in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? Who am I to have this honour to marry your daughter? It's almost like David declining. Later on in the chapter, there will be another instance, a second offer, where it will be the issue of a bride price, supposedly. So perhaps that's, Implied behind this, we're not sure. Verse 19 tells us, nonetheless, when the time came for Mirab, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, day of the wedding, time of the marriage. Did you hear about my daughter, Cain? Uh, she was instead given in marriage to another bloke. Now, we don't know. Is that Saul, again, being hostile to David and trying to set him up for public humiliation? Is that what this is about? Or is it really well I've arranged my daughter's getting married it's been announced, the invitations have gone out and now we're having a wedding and it can't be David because he can't afford the bride price so I'll cover that mistake by doing this not either one of those it's Saul certainly not uh, endorsing David publicly deja vu again though here is now the fourth and final one verse 20 now how do you say that word? what's her name? M-I-C-H-A-L. Michelle? Michelle? Michael? Michael? Doesn't sound right to call her Michael. I'm gonna call her Michelle. It's not Michelle. It doesn't matter. Saul's daughter it says in verse 20 that she loved David so did Jonathan, so did all Israel so did all Judah it's just boofhead Saul who doesn't <laughs> but notice this very tragic attitude of Saul when they told Saul about her this her love for David it pleased him it pleased him a normal response would be well I can't stand the sight of the guy and you're in love with him I wouldn't be pleased about it. But Saul, verse twenty, the author tells us why. I'll give her to him, I'll give my permission for them to get married, so that she can become a snare to him. And the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul says to David, Okay, second opportunity. Here's a second chance for you to become my son in law. But he, Saul does it by arrangement this time with the servant, sends the servants off to communicate it. David again declines, verse twenty three. Is becoming the king's son-in-law something insignificant to you? It's a big deal. And David's saying, I can't afford it. I'm just a poor, lightly esteemed man. As it says in a minute, Saul understands that to be in terms of he can't afford the bridal price. David is a humble man who comes from humble background who's got mixed blood in his family line. Remember the story of Ruth and Boaz, and descendants? So there is Gentile blood in his family line and He's not a pure blood, and he may very well be aware of it. Either way, regardless of all the success and the blessing God is giving him, he's still a humble man at this point in his life. When Saul's servants reported what David had said to Saul, Saul says, verse 25, here is what you should say. Uh, there is nothing that the king wants as a price for the bride. Don't worry about the bride price. Except, I'd like a hundred foreskins from the Philistines. He's a sicko, isn't he? Saul's clever though. It's not an emotional reaction. This is very cleverly thought out plotting and planning to get rid of David. I would imagine Saul could have could have reasoned, you know, one lucky slingshot, big rock, big guy in the head, in the head bang, lucky shot. Bet he can't do that a hundred times. I'd like a hundred foreskins, please, Philistine foreskins. And David accepts the challenge he thinks this is a wonderful opportunity let's go kill some more Philistines Saul's thinking if the hundred don't get him he'll infuriate the Philistines because not only has he killed them but he has desecrated their bodies that would be highly offensive and they will come after him either way I can't lose David's gone and so David accepts it takes some of his men and off he goes and guess what the Lord is with him and the Lord blesses him, and the Lord uses him. He doesn't kill 100 Philistines, he kills 200. And then he counts out the foreskins, and he brings them back, and he gives them to Saul. One. David brings them to the king, so he became the king's son-in-law. Saul then gave him his daughter, Kate, in marriage. When Saul realised the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michal, loved him, Saul became even more afraid. He's got the royal robes from Jonathan. He's now the son-in-law to the king and his bloodline into the the thing. You see what God's doing? He's slowly moving Saul out in his own way. That's what we're expecting to happen, but there is a twist, a surprise coming. Saul becomes even more afraid of him and Saul continued to be at odds with David from that day on. Here he is resistant to what God wants, resistant to God's anointed, and yet he is pursuing that way. All of these little speed bumps along the way don't stop Saul. Don't change his heart, don't reinvade his mind, Uh, he's a man who was determined to oppose the will of God. And then, of course, as Saul expected, verse 30, then the leaders of the Philistines would march out. And as often as they came for David, God just gave him more success. That which Saul set up simply ended up promoting David more and more. It's foolish to oppose the will of God and follow the ways of the world. Now, in the next chapter, which continues from this, there are four escape episodes, four escape stories. This is four hostile events that Saul tried to get rid of him and now here are four deliverances that God gives. And having seen all of this, first one of chapter 19, the story just continues straight on. Then Saul takes Jonathan and his servants and he speaks to them and he says to them very clearly, kill him. Up until now it's been subtle. It's been planning behind the scenes. Now it's out now. Kill him. Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much. Somehow, Saul either had forgotten or wasn't fully aware of the depth of that commitment. Does not appear to be aware that Jonathan has certainly changed allegiances. And David, uh, Jonathan, speaks to David, says, "You stay here. I'll go talk to the old man and see what's gotten in his bonnet, and I'll come back and tell you." And he goes and has a chat to Saul, and he says to him, verse four and following the king shouldn't sin against his servant David he hasn't done anything wrong he hasn't sinned against you why do this wrong thing on the contrary his actions have been very beneficial for you he risked his life when he struck down the Philistines and the Lord has given Israel a great victory when you saw that you were happy so how can you arrange for him to be killed he's innocent verse 6 Saul is convinced by Jonathan's intercession Um, he takes an oath but he lies as surely as the Lord lives he says he will not be put to death Well, that's not going to last. Then Jonathan calls David and David returns with Jonathan back to the palace for the last time. He will leave again and he will never return. Chapter 19 becomes this crossroads event where David flees from Saul and Saul will continue to pursue him for the rest of the book and for the rest of his life. Samuel will end with Saul's death. Once again, verse 8, there was war. And David went out to fight the Philistines. They just kept coming. And David kept fighting them. And David kept being victorious. He defeated them thoroughly and they ran away. Here is this story again. Here is, he's delivered from this threat from Saul by the intercession of Jonathan. Here is a repeat, what happened in the other chapter. Here is Saul in the palace again, spear in hand, David playing. Evil spirit comes upon Saul, this mood change. He has this reaction, verse 9. He was sitting in his house, spear in his hand. David's playing the lion. So Saul tried to nail David to the wall with a spear. But he escaped from God's presence. The spear actually went into the wall and David escapes quickly that night. In fact, you read on, he doesn't run far, doesn't leave the city. He goes down to his house where his wife, Michal, is present. Runs puffing and panning into the house and she's aware she's putting two and two together and she says, you better leave town tonight because if you don't leave, he'll kill you. So he gets out the window and he escapes. David escapes Saul's threat at the intercession of Jonathan. God, David, evades the spear again, and now David is escaping with the love and direction of Michal, Saul's daughter. Everybody's a guinea, poor Saul. And then David escapes through the window and uh, she takes an idol, a statue... Question, what's an idol doing in the house of David? What's the answer to that? Maybe it means something else. Maybe it was some sort of financial transaction or symbol or something. It just seems inconceivable that David, the anointed one, after God's own heart, would have a false god in his house. It wasn't his, it was his wife's. It's still in his house. He's the head of the home. Anyway, she takes this statue and she, through lies and deception, puts it in the bed, puts a blanket over it, takes a goat head pillow, puts that at the head. So it looks like David's asleep. Must have had dreadlocks or something. And Saul, David's run away. Saul sends messengers, spies, down to the house to stay outside the house, keep watch on it. And in the morning, when he comes out, kill him. That's the plan. David's gone during the night. Next morning, knock on the door, they go inside. And she says, uh, he's sick. And they being the mighty warriors that they are, they went, oh, they didn't know what to do. They went back to Saul. (laughs) He's sick. Saul said, well, bring him on the bed to me and I'll kill him. So they do. They go down, they pick up the bed, they bring it back. Saul pulls the blankets down. That's a statue. It is a bit funny, isn't it? at the foolishness of sin and rebellion against God. And then he puts two and two together very quickly. You lying daughter, you deceived me. That which he was doing to others happened to him. Reap what you sow. He certainly is in the process of doing that. And then she lies. Oh, David threatened to kill me. And it's a whole sidetrack that we won't go into now, but certainly she is in a position of weakness and she is lying. God doesn't value lies he values truthfulness and speaking the truth. Whether she should have done that or not you can talk about it. Anyway it's a record of what she did do and even through her sinful response David is delivered. There is one more uh, instance to come of David's mighty deliverance. Up until now it's been pretty obvious. Well on reflection, it's God's working behind the scenes. You know, he's pulling the strings and moving chess pieces around and achieving his purpose. But now David has fled and we're told that he goes to a town a couple of miles away where Samuel is. who hasn't had contact with Saul and when David gets there he tells Samuel everything. Everything that's been going on, the whole mess of what's been expiring and Samuel undoubtedly puts it all together. Saul hears where he is. This is the fourth story in this chapter and Saul sends again some messengers to go and get him and to kill him Samuel they come to Ramah where Samuel is and there's a school of the prophets and when these soldiers this guard or whatever it is arrive to get David the spirit of God comes upon these soldiers the prophets the school of the prophets are praising and prophesying and playing instruments and having a good old time and the spirit comes upon these guards and they end up doing the same thing. They start prophesying and praising and singing and they forget why they're there. So Saul sends a second light. Same thing happens. So he sends a third light. He's determined. The third same thing happens. Spirit comes upon them. So Saul then realising if you want to do a job you have to. There he goes himself. And I think maybe God's goodness, graciousness, patience towards Saul At this point Saul comes, eventually finds the place and the spirit of God comes upon Saul. Now I think that's God knocking on his door and saying, Saul, remember this because he had been anointed by the spirit before he had been prophesying before he became king. He had this spiritual experience before and this is a reminder. And interestingly, in this instance, it's not going to change him, chapters to come he will pursue again. But at this point God intervenes, God is centre stage and God obviously is protecting his anointed one, his king, David. Saul, under the influence of the spirit, prophesying, praising, singing, saying words under the influence of the spirit that he may not have understood, ends up taking off his clothes. Who else took off his clothes in this story? Jonathan took off his royal robes, gave them to David. You're the rightful king. Here is Saul, under the influence of the Spirit of God before Samuel, the prophet of God, taking off his clothes, humbling, being humbled. Jonathan, willingly. Samuel, uh, Saul, involuntarily. Same result. You will be humbled before the living God. And so too for us what's our response to the Lord's anointing? Like Jonathan, we can voluntarily, willingly bend the knee, confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord, acknowledge it and submit to his rulership. And if we don't do it now, there will come a time when the Spirit of God will come and he will force everybody, bend the knee, confess with your lips Jesus is Lord. Between now and then, it's up to us. God is at work in the world and he is calling us to make a response. What happens for David? Well, here is the Lord's anointed following God's will. Good things are happening. What does he do? Keeps his eyes on God. When Saul is opposing him, plotting against him, trying to get rid of him, what does he do? He still seeks to honour God and do God's will, to seek his approval. They are the major lessons, I think, that we have to derive from this particular part of the story. And like Saul, we are reminded that there will be people, our loved ones, as David spoke to us about, people we know who have an attitude like a two-year-old having a tantrum that they think irrationally that they can oppose God, that they can prevent God's will, they can reject it resist it and they can have their own way sometimes it may appear that they can get away with it but a time is coming when the sovereign Lord will enter centre stage and it will become obvious who his anointed is and he will summon us into his presence, those who have willingly and changed their allegiance to him the good news is this that God sent his son into the world to reclaim sinners, rebels that's the good news that we are to proclaim it is God's will that we submit to him but that's not enough. It is God's will that everybody submit to him. So if we submit to him, that's good, but not enough. It is God's will for us to be his instruments to tell everybody, you are in rebellion against the king and you must change allegiances. You must uh, love his anointed. You must submit. You must repent. And until everybody is in submission to the Lord Jesus, we ought not to be satisfied, simply that we are. God is using us, working out his purposes through us to bring everybody, knees bending, tongues confessing that Jesus is sovereign Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your incredible love and plan. Thank you that you are so smart that you can work behind the scenes and you're so powerful you can intervene at any time and change the course of history. Lord, thank you for intersecting our lives. Thank you for enlightening us. That we understand your revealed will, that you want everybody in submission. So Lord, uh, our hands for the player help us to continue to work with you, not looking back, but looking to you for your approval, to see you honoured in everybody's life, to pray to that end, to work to that end, to commit to pursuing that end. We thank you for your anointed, the Lord Jesus, and we want to see him exalted, not just in our lives and church, but in our community, in our state, in our nation, and in this world. Lord, energise us by your spirit and give us wisdom when we encounter souls who seek to oppose you. Give us strength. Protect us. Use us.
0: And bring on it to Jesus, we pray in his great name. Amen.